0: So here we go. Um, somebody said, Holly said yesterday, why don't you put your email address up there in case somebody wants to get a hold of you. And Adam's been like broadcasting his telephone number. So if anybody would like to text me now or in uh, In Missouri when I get back home make sure that you text me and don't try to call me if you try to call me on the telephone I'm not gonna answer because I'm not gonna recognize your phone number I'm gonna think you're like a salesperson (laughs) but if you wanted to text me you could um, I suppose whatever (laughs) for whatever reason if you'd like to email me there is my email address and so um, also Kevin said why don't you tell them about your church Adam your church is called renovate renovation Renovation. Guess what my church is called?
1: Renovation.
0: Desperation Church. They rhyme. Desperation Renovation. (laughs) Yours is happy, mine is just real. (laughs) We are desperate for Jesus. In the Message Bible, when it's talking about Zacchaeus, it says that he was desperate to see Jesus. And so uh, this afternoon, I'll be wearing my Desperation Church football jersey. And um, that's what my church is. It's Desperation Church. We are not a denomination. We are just uh, non-denominational. And um, uh, that's what we're called. So I come from Desperation Church in Liberty, Missouri. And um, greetings from my people. So that's that's about it. This is what we've been waiting for. Today is the day. We've been talking about stories that lead us. Wait a minute. I want to go to this slide right here. We've been talking about Stories that point to this precious person. I told you the story about the Arkansas guy that came out of the filling station and said, that's a mighty precious person you're advertising. That's a mighty precious person. And all of the stories in the Old Testament and all of those prophecies have been pointing toward this mighty precious person. Person. We've been talking about how God wanted a relationship with mankind and he had that relationship in the first garden with Adam and Eve, but it was broken when they made the decision to go their own way. And we talked about how, at least for me, if it had been me, I probably would have made the same choice. It's so easy to believe the lies of the enemy their friendship with God was broken, and the easy relationship that they had with the Lord when they had walked with Him and talked with Him in the cool of the evening was broken because they listened to the wrong voice. And from that time forward, man had tried to become like God and had tried to reach toward Him and tried to be perfect, but it was too hard. And all of man's attempts failed And we learned this week how God continued to make promises that He would make a way for that relationship to be restored. Someday that relationship would be reestablished. So let's take a look at our icons. Adam and Eve, the lion snake, the promise that came after Noah and the ark, the promise that came to Abraham, the 12 tribes of Israel, Joseph and how he went down to Egypt and kept his chin up. And there's Moses who was led. Now we are led by the Holy Spirit, the, the Ten Commandments. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. Good King David. The United Kingdom. The divided Kingdom. That brought us to the end of the Old Testament. Oh, um, today we get to talk about that precious person. So... It was in, okay, let me, let me not get ahead of myself, okay? At the end of the Old Testament, God's people have returned from exile, they rebuilt the temple, it's not as glorious as Solomon's temple, they still can't get it right, they're still falling short of God's glory, and then there comes this long period of time of hearing no prophet's voice. They've been waiting and waiting and waiting for the Messiah to come, but there's this period of 400 years when they don't hear from God, and I imagine that some people begin to feel like maybe the whole thing was just made up, but here's the deal. The Old Testament and the New Testament begins with just a flip of a page for us, but 400 years go by, and a whole lot of history goes by during that time. So a lot of things are happening in the world and so when you start reading the Gospels the setting doesn't even look the same when you started when you close the last page of Malachi or Malachi as some people like to call it, that Italian prophet, right? Um, The land is the same but the governing systems and the people have changed so much. During this time the world's culture has changed drastically. Alexander the Great came in, conquered the known world with the Greek culture there was a Jewish revolt led by a family called the Maccabees, and they had a measure of success. It was during that time. this is where the Jewish people today get the um, the the, the um, Hanukkah that they they celebrate around Christmas time, all of those traditions, okay? Um, then there was a Roman expansion. Rome comes in and takes over, and that's what was going on in Jesus' world. All of these Um, Roman officials that are in charge, that's what's going on. Uh, During the reign of King Herod, or Herod the Great, when Jesus was born, he was the one who ordered the execution of all the male babies. Remember that? When Jesus was born. So, the first page of the New Testament starts off with a a list of a bunch of names, and this is um, how... It goes. Let's see if I can find this. It's right. It's right. (laughs) It's really cool. It's worth looking for. Okay, I want this to play. So what I'm going to do is hit. Oh, it's a YouTube, y'all. And I really want it to play.
1: Come on. Click.
0: All right, we're going to give it one more shot. Austin made it work. But he's not here. Okay. No Andrew Peterson. Ah. Okay. Lord, please. Okay. <laughs> okay. So Andrew Peterson has this really cool song that has this whiteboard and all of the people who are in Matthew chapter 1, Moses, or Matthew and all of his baguettes. We're going to give it one more shot. One, two, three, everybody hold your breath and cross your fingers. You ready? Nope. Okay. Your fingers didn't work. All right. The first mention of Jesus is actually found back in Genesis. In Genesis, y'all, the first mention of Jesus is what we've looked at before. It's in that promise that we talked about. And I will put enmity, which means hostility, we're going to find that scripture, between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Jesus, this mighty precious person that we are in love with, is the fulfillment of that promise. But when he showed up, he looked completely different from what they were expecting. They wanted him to come in and take over. They wanted to come in and be a military conqueror. They wanted him to come in and make all of this Roman stuff go away. They were expecting something that looked more like the king's that came in and took over in a military way in the Old Testament. And Jesus came in, and here he was, a humble servant. He wrapped the towel around him like we heard over the weekend, right? So yesterday we spent time talking about the lies that we're tempted to believe and to replace them with the truth of God's Word. One of the most prevalent lies that the enemy will try to make you believe is that you're a pretty good person. I mean, after all, you came to Bible camp, right? Here you are at family camp. You're a pretty good person, and we hear this a lot at funerals. I think that Pastor Kevin talked about it. She was a pretty good person. He was a good person. Surely he's in heaven. They're in a better place. Right? When clearly the Bible teaches us in Romans that all have sinned and come short of God's glory. Now this is what makes Jesus the precious person that he is. The reason the world waited for this promise was because the world needed a savior. You and I need a savior. We didn't just need a good person to come and do nice things while he lived on earth. We needed Jesus Christ to come and die the death that he died as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. We needed him to die the death that he died as a sacrifice for our sins so that we could be reunited as friends with God and so that reconciliation could happen. He actually became sin on the cross so that you and I could become righteous. It's the great exchange. We trade our sin <coughs> and our corruption for His righteousness in His life. So when Jesus came, it was the fulfillment of all of the promises of the Old Testament, promising that what was broken in the Garden of Eden would be restored. Let's pray. Father, as we spend time with you today, I pray that you would come and commune with us and just remind us of things that we already know to be true. And in that reminding, would you stir us up and draw us to yourself? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Acts chapter 10, verse 38. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how He went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with Him. I want to read a story to you by Max Lucado. I'm going to read you this story. One year during harvest... My grip on the tool seemed weak. The tips of my fingers numbed, first one finger and then another. Within a short time, I could grip the tool but scarcely feel it. By the end of the season, I felt nothing at all. My hand grasping the handle might as well have belonged to someone else. The feeling was gone. I said nothing to my wife, but I knew she suspected something. How could she not? I carried my hand against my body like a wounded bird. One afternoon, I plunged my hands into a basin of water intending to wash my face. The water reddened. My finger was bleeding, bleeding freely. I didn't even know I was wounded. How did I cut myself? On a knife? Did my hand slide across the sharp edge of metal? It must have, but I didn't feel anything. It's on your clothes too, my wife said softly. She was behind me.
1: Before looking at
0: her, I looked down at the crimson spots on my robe. For the longest time, I stood over the basin staring at my hand. Somehow I knew my life was being forever altered. Shall I go with you to tell the priest, she asked? No, I sighed, I'll go alone. I turned and looked into her moist eyes. Standing next to her was our three-year-old daughter. Squatting, I gazed into her face and stroked her cheek, saying nothing. What could I say? I stood and looked again at my wife, She touched my shoulder, and with my good hand, I touched hers. It would be our final touch. Five years have passed, and no one has touched me since. The priest didn't touch me. He looked at my hand, now wrapped in a rag. He looked at my face, now shadowed in sorrow. I've never faulted him for what he said. He was only doing as he was instructed. He covered his mouth and extended his hand, palm forward. You are unclean, he told me. With one pronouncement, I lost my family, my farm, my future, my friends. My wife met me at the city gates with a sack of clothing and bread and coins. She didn't speak. By now, friends had gathered. What I saw in their eyes was a precursor to what I've seen in every eye since. Fearful pity. Pity. As I stepped out, they stepped back. Their horror of my disease was greater than their concern for my heart. So they, and everyone else I've seen since, stepped back. Oh, how I repulsed those who saw me. Five years of leprosy have left my hands gnarled. Tips of my fingers were missing, as were portions of an ear and my nose. At the sight of me, fathers grabbed their children. Mothers covered their faces. Children pointed and stared. The rags on my body couldn't hide my sores, nor could the wrap on my face hide the rage in my eyes. I didn't even try to hide it. How many nights did I shake my crippled fist at the silent sky? What did I do to deserve this? But never a reply. Some think I sinned. Some think my parents sinned. I don't know. All I know is that I grew so tired of it all. Sleeping in the colony, smelling the stench. I grew so tired of the bell I was required to wear around my neck to warn people of my presence. As if I needed it, one glance and the announcements began, Unclean! 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 Several weeks ago, I dared walk the road to my village. I had no intent of entering. Heaven knows I only wanted to look again upon my fields gaze again upon my home, and see, perchance, the face of my wife. I did not see her. But I saw some children playing in a pasture. I hid behind a tree and watched them scamper and run. Their faces were so joyful and their laughter so contagious that for a moment, just for a moment, I was no longer a leper. I was a farmer. I was a father. I was a man. Infused with their happiness, I stepped out from behind the tree, straightened my back, breathed deeply, and they saw me. Before I could retreat, they saw me, and they screamed, and they scattered. One lingered, though, behind the others. One paused and looked in my direction. I don't know, and I I can't say for sure, but I think, I really think, she was my daughter. And I don't know, I really can't say for sure, but I... I think she was looking for her father. That look is what made me take the step I took today. Of course it was reckless, of course it was risky, but what did I have to lose? He calls himself God's son. Either way he will hear my complaint and kill me or accept my demands and heal me. Those were my thoughts. I came to him as a defiant man, moved not by faith, but by a desperate anger. God had wrought this calamity on my body and he would either fix it or end it. But then I saw him, and when I saw him, I was changed. You must remember, I'm a farmer, not a poet, so I cannot find the words to describe what I saw. All I can say is that the Judean mornings are sometimes so fresh and the sunrise is so glorious that to look at them is to forget the heat of the day before and the hurt of times past. When I looked at his face, I saw a Judean mourning. Before he spoke, I knew he cared. Somehow, I knew he hated this disease as much as, no, more than I hate it. My rage became trust and my anger became hope. From behind a rock, I watched him descend a hill. Throngs of people followed him. I waited until he was only paces from me, and then I stepped out. Master! He stopped and looked in my direction, as did dozens of others. A flood of fear swept across the crowd. Arms flew in front of faces. Children ducked behind parents. I'm clean, someone shouted. Again, I don't blame them. I was a huddled mass of death, but I scarcely heard them. I scarcely saw them. Their panic I'd seen a thousand times. His compassion, however, I'd never beheld. Everyone stepped back except him. He stepped toward me toward me. Five years ago, my wife had stepped toward me. She was the last to do so. Now he did. I did not move. I just spoke. Lord, you can heal me if you will. Had he healed me with the word, I would have been thrilled. Had he cured me with a prayer, I would have rejoiced. But he wasn't satisfied with speaking to me. He drew near me. He touched me. Five years ago, my wife had touched me. No one had touched me since, until today. I will, his words were as tender as his touch, be healed. Energy flooded my body like water through a furrowed field. In an instant, in a moment, I felt warmth where there had been numbness. I felt strength where there had been atrophy. My back straightened and my head lifted. Where I had been eye level with his belt, I now stood eye level with his face, his smiling face. He cupped his hands on my cheeks and drew me so near I could feel the warmth of his breath and see the wetness in his eyes. Don't tell anyone about this, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded for the people who are made well. This will show the people what I have done. So that's where I'm going. I'll show myself to the priest and embrace him. I will show myself to my wife and I will embrace her. I'll pick up my daughter and I will embrace her and I will never forget the one who dared to touch me. He could have healed me with the word, but he wanted to do more than heal me. He wanted to honor me, to validate me, to christen me. Imagine that, unworthy of the touch of a man, yet worthy of the touch of God. Jesus stepped toward him. Jesus steps toward us. That, my friends, is amazing. Simply, Jesus came toward us. He left the splendor of heaven and he came down toward broken us. He's still doing that today. He's still stepping toward you. He's still drawing near you because He wants a friendship with you. Let's check out a story in Luke chapter 7 about how Jesus stepped toward this hurting woman. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples in a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. <laughs> I guess it does. Now this happens pretty early in Jesus' ministry. It's recorded in a couple of chapters after the, the story of the healed leper. There's a few things I'd like to point out about Jesus and what He does for this widow in this historical account. Now remember, we talk about Bible stories, but these aren't stories like a folk tale with a nice little you know uh, moral at the end these are historical accounts these are not fables the Bible is a history book not a book of fairy tales. so when we read these accounts let's remember that we can believe them just as surely as we can remember something that maybe we see on the news or read on the internet or maybe even more than that these are historical accounts so this lady who was a widow she had first lost her husband and now her only son has died. Put yourself in that place. This is, this is your last living relative who can bring in income at least. She may have had daughters, I don't know. Put yourself in. Anyway, you're going on your way to bury your son. You've got this big funeral procession with you. And you're on your way out of the city gates to bury your child. And here comes another large procession of people. So you've got these two large groups of people, and they're going to run into each other. Now culturally, because this is a funeral, Jesus' group should have stepped aside and let the funeral procession go first. But Jesus, when the Lord saw her, Scripture tells us that his heart went out to her. I love that. Jesus' heart goes out to us. He cares about what's going on in our lives. And Scripture tells us that he stepped toward her. He said to her, Don't cry. What? Don't cry. This is my boy. This is my boy. You're telling me don't cry? And then this is what Jesus... Take the next verse. He went up and touched the coffin and those carrying it stood still. Now that word in the Greek, it means that He touched it with purpose. He wasn't just like sleepwalking and just kind of bumbling His way toward it. He went up there with a purpose and He touched that thing as if to say to those guys, stop, hold still, hold up here. (laughs) Because He had a purpose, y'all. And the purpose was... He was raising this man up from his dead condition. Now, the guy was dead. He was dead. And then he sat up and he started talking. Do you wonder what he said? I mean, like, was he, was he talking about where he had just been? Was he talking about what uh, life after death was about? Man, you guys should have seen where I just was. This place is great. Or was he talking about what he talked about right before he got dead? I mean, I. I, or was he just like, hi, mom? What did he say? I want to know what he said. Who knows? What we do know is that he was dead and now he's alive and he doesn't waste any time. He starts talking. And Jesus gave him back to his mama. Listen, my son used to live in L.A. And when he would get off that airplane, his mama got a hold of him. His mama got a hold of him and kissed those baby cheeks. And he's not a baby. But can you imagine this mama getting a hold of her boy again? Jesus cared about this lady. He was moved with compassion. He stepped toward her and He took care of her. He gave her son back to her. This funeral procession (laughs) turns into a party. I love that. So I went to a drama one time at a church, um, and they were reenacting the story of Jesus' life. It was an Easter deal. And so uh, there was a lot going on up here on the stage, all kinds of stuff going on up at the stage, and lots of different groups of people dressed up in Bible clothes, right? And all of a sudden, the lights that had been lighting up the stage kind of dimmed, and there was a spotlight in the back of the room and everybody's attention turned, the music kind of lowered and you could see in the back of the room this man carrying a child in his hands and he was walking very, very slowly. And this child, it was a little girl in his hands and she looked to be about six years old. And she had long brown hair. And the reason I remember her hair is because her head was hanging way back and her hair was almost touching the floor. the child wasn't moving you could tell that this was the daddy and this little girl was dead she didn't move and this daddy was trudging 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 and his head was hanging down he trudged 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 no noise in the whole auditorium trudging 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 but you could tell he was determined Jesus is up here right He brings this child up here to Jesus. He doesn't say anything to Jesus. No words need to be said. You can tell what he wants. And he handed this six-ish girl to the Lord. Jesus took this child. Her hair's still, her head's laying back. She hasn't moved a muscle. Jesus takes this child and raises her up above his head she's still just dead gets her all the way up his arms extended like this doesn't say anything no words are necessary everybody knows what's going on and he brings this child back down and when she gets to be about chest level that child comes to life and she doesn't just, like, shake her head and go, oh, man, that was weird. She comes to life, y'all, and she throws her arms around his, le- his neck, and she throws her legs around him, she squeezes him, and then she starts kicking and squirming and kicking and squirming, and she wants down, and she starts running around this group of people and running around this group of people, and she throws herself into her daddy's arms, and she's alive. Because you know what? When little girls are alive, they're alive. Right? And she's not just sick. She's not just feeling a little bit better. She's a little girl, and she's running around like these little girls do out here. She's alive with life, with kicking, squirming, hugging, running life. It's not just, I'm a little bit alive. She's alive. And it changed my whole thinking about how when Jesus raises people to life, he raises them to life. Because I used to think that when Jesus would raise, you know, he'd go in and say some mumbo jumbo over the sick chick, you know? And she just kind of shakes her, head. wow, that was weird, and the mama just kind of cried. No, no. He raises people to life, and Jesus is laughing, and the people in all the groups are laughing. People are exclaiming the goodness of God and laughing in amazement at this little girl who is alive. Jesus came to give us that kind of abundant life, y'all. Now these are just a a sample of the hundreds of miraculous things that Jesus did. Here's here's the picture of the little girl running and hugging hugging her daddy. This play was so good at vividly showing the contrast between death with her lifeless body and Jesus' arms. And then boom, life, running, hugging, squirming, life. These are just a sample of the hundreds of miraculous things that Jesus did as he walked this earth. For three years, he served the people of Judea by teaching, healing, delivering people from demonic spirits, and raising people from the dead. And he loved them by stepping toward them in their need. When other people stepped away, Jesus came near. When all hope was gone, Jesus brought hope back into hopeless situations. And then, after he served his community that way, He allowed the religious and political leaders of the time to fulfill God's plan of the ages by nailing him to the cross of Calvary. Jesus wasn't tricked, he wasn't captured, he wasn't executed against his will. Jesus willingly laid down his life in obedience to the Father, he allowed his life to be sacrificed. Sacrificed on that cross for this purpose. To crush the head of the lying snake. To bring an end to the separation between God and man. To provide the reconciliation. To reestablish fellowship between God and man. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. So, as you know, the coolest part is is, is this. Although Satan may have thought he won on Friday when Jesus died on the cross, he couldn't have been further than the truth because Jesus busted out of the grave, right? He busted out of the grave. As I told you the other day, we win, we win, hallelujah, we win. I read the back of the book and we win, right? Now, we are just at the midway point here and we're going to sing our worship song. And we're going to sing the song that the choir sang last night, um, which was, uh, we're going to, here, we're going to do that. How deep the Father's love for us, because it's all about uh, what we're talking about today. So you guys can stand, and we're going to sing this song, and then we'll, we'll go on from here. <clears throat> oh, I need somebody to do this one. me. Here I am. Thank you for helping me with that battery yesterday. Uh, it was I such a. <laughs>
1: <laughs> How deep the Father's love for us, beyond all measure. To make it wet his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen. songs to Yeah.
0: All right, take a good stretch before you sit down. You've been sitting a long time. (coughs) Thank you so much. All right, Isaiah 43 says this, Do not remember the past events, Pay no attention to things of old. Look, I'm about to do something what? New. Even now it is coming. Do you not see it? But you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. Verse 25 says, It is I who sweep away your transgressions for my own sake and remember your sins no more Isaiah the prophet says to his people even though you've done things that are wrong even though you have sinned don't dwell on these former sins God says I'm not gonna concentrate on your problems and your failures and your former sin God says I'm gonna do something new that's the way God is He's looking ahead to the future. He's giving us a hope for something good, something positive, a new season to look forward to. Here we are almost at the end of family camp. Almost at the end of summer. We're headed into a new school year, a new season. Our enemy Satan will always want you to look back at the things that you've done wrong. He's going to invariably be trying to bring things up that you have done wrong, to remind you of the sins of your past. He's going to try to trip you up and make you afraid that you're going to mess up again. You know you're going to do it again. You know you really don't have victory in that area. Don't tell anybody you've changed. Don't tell anybody you're trying to quit behaving like that. You know you're going to fail. We talked about this yesterday. God, however, calls us to fix our eyes on the things that are ahead and to fix our eyes on Jesus. He wants us to have hope, to look forward to new things, to expect growth and victory and success, not in our own strength, never, but in Him. I love this scripture in Lamentations 3. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish. His mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. What's the hymn that comes from this? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Great is thy faithfulness. O God, my Father. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish. His mercies never end. They are new every morning. Anybody here messed up this past month, (laughs) this past week, this morning? Let's talk about what the scripture says to do about those things. When we mess up, when we make mistakes, when we have regrets, the Bible has a name for that. We may not like it, but the, the Bible calls it sin. And here's the thing, we can just ignore our sin and pretend like it doesn't exist. But we're all sinners and we all fail the Lord at times. Scripture tells us in that familiar verse in Romans 3.23, do you want to say it with me? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And because God is a holy God, because He is completely righteous, we can't be in fellowship with Him when we have sin in our lives. There's a separation between us and Him when we're walking in sin. It's not because He's angry with us as much as it's because we want to hide from Him. We don't feel good about being with Him. When Adam and Eve ate the fruit that they were not supposed to eat, they hid from God because they were ashamed. And when we mess up in sin, it makes us way less interested in going into the tabernacle to worship, <laughs> doesn't it? God is a holy God, and we are broken, fallen mankind. Look at Habakkuk. Oh, I don't think I have this here. Uh, Habakkuk 113 says, Your eyes, God, are too pure to look on evil. And you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. But Jesus has made a way for us to find fellowship with the Lord. Because of the shed blood of Jesus, we can confess our sin, ask him to forgive us, and be welcomed into the presence of God. All in a matter of seconds. It doesn't take a lot of time or effort really on our part, because the time and effort was taken on that day that Jesus hung on the cross. He's the one that did the hard work. But that doesn't mean that we don't have any work at all. But our responsibility is to search our hearts. Our responsibility is to be cognizant of our behavior, to be aware of what kind of lives we're living. We do have some responsibility here. We say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any, any hurtful way in me. Lead me in the everlasting Paul encourages us to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects. The psalmist in, in, one, in Psalm 101 says, I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. Remember David and what a really good king he was? He was such a good king. He fought so many battles. He did so many good things right. But what's the one thing that we always remember about David? Bathsheba. Bathsheba. That big black X mark on David's life. Man, we remember that, don't we? He totally blew it, y'all. And not only did he blow it with Bathsheba by having an affair with her, then he went and committed murder and tried to cover it up. You know what we got out of that? You know what we got out of that? What we got out of that sin was Psalm 51 that says, because David wrote it, Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. If David hadn't sinned big time like that, we may not have that sin, that psalm for us to pray. He wrote it after he committed that sin. I'm kind of glad he sinned like that because I need that psalm. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Let's turn to that. Let's turn, let's actually take our Bibles out (laughs) and open it up. Psalms is somewhere in the middle of the Bible. 51 is somewhere in the middle of Psalms. I'm just gonna pick out some of these verses to read. I'm in the NIV, which is somewhere in between the one thing that Adam said and the other thing that Adam said about, what were, what were the two different kinds yeah. of translations? Dynamic equivalence and, and essentially literal. Yeah, so the NIV falls in the middle, so I'm figuring this is pretty good. <laughs> Adam says this is a pretty good translation. Alright, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David goes on to say that my sin is always before me and against you have I sinned. Verse number six, surely you desire truth in the inner parts. God wants us to be real with him, y'all. He wants us to be honest. Verse seven, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. It goes on to say, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you've crushed rejoice. When we confess our sins and the Lord cleanses us from our sins, it makes us joyful. Uh, Verse number 10, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take the Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. If you don't have a willing heart, ask God to give you one. You know, Jeannie, when I was a kid, well, of course, now I, most of us don't look at the little thing where it says, for the minister of music, because we wonder, well, how in the world did they take a song like this and put it to music? But as a kid growing up um, in a denomination, not that I'm a part of today, that was our doxology, as many of us might <coughs> sing or are familiar with Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Yeah. It was these verses, verses uh, uh, 10 through 12, that we
1: sing as our doxology every week. Wow! I never quite understood why we did I don't know that I've ever had clarification on why we did, but, uh, but those words put to music were sung uh, every, uh, every... Weekly. Day. Yeah.
0: That's... That's very interesting. Well, awesome. Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. God is a high and holy God, yet he is drawn to the broken and contrite. It's like magnets attract, opposites attract. He is a high and holy God, and he is attracted to those of us who are humble and contrite.
1: Okay. On top, right after where it says Psalms 51 before it starts reading, it says, to the chief musician, the psalm of
0: David when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Yep. Yeah, mine says uh, pretty much the same thing after he'd committed adultery with Bathsheba. This is what David wrote after he recognized his sin. So I love it that, I mean, I'm sorry that that he committed that sin, but I'm thankful to have this psalm to go to when I need to be forgiven. So, yep, nothing is wasted. All right, so um, this is this is really cool. I, I got this um, that I'm about to teach out of a book called Draw the Circle by Mark Batterson. And um, it's Mark Batterson... Uh, is a really great guy. If you can redraw the Circle or The Circle Maker, it's a great book. Okay, so Luke 22 gives us an account of what happened to Jesus on the night that, Jesus, that Judas betrayed him. Remember that he had eaten his last Passover meal with his disciples, and Judas left the meal early, and they finished by singing a hymn together, and then they walked together across the Kidron Valley and went up to a grove of olive trees. It's a place where they had spent a lot of time together. And um, it was there that Jesus left his disciples and walked a distance away and he prayed this prayer that Adam talked about the other night where he said if there's any way can this cup pass from me nevertheless not my will but your will be done and you remember that his disciples had fallen asleep and he went back over to them and he said y'all need to stay awake so that you don't fall into temptation. And it was while that was happening that Judah shows up with some chief priests and officers of the temple guard and some elders, a squadron of soldiers, and they come to arrest Jesus. And the high priest's slave was there, we know, because there's a story in all four Gospels of how Peter, the impulsive one, pulls out his sword and cuts off the right ear of this, uh, this guy named Malchus. And, you know, Peter... He gets kind of a bum rap because later on in the night he gets scared and he runs away and he denies Jesus. But you've got to give him credit for the fact that at least this first act is pretty brave. He pulls out his sword, and I don't know if he's trying to take the guy's head off or not, but he gets his right ear. And he cuts his right ear off. And Jesus goes, it's not the time for that. And he picks up Malchus's right ear and he puts it back on and heals him. And so Mark Batterson says, uh, "This crime undoubtedly was punishable by death. He struck the servant of the high priest with a sword. But Jesus destroyed any evidence that might have been used against Peter in the court of law. If Malchus had pressed charges against Peter for attempted murder, or even just assault with the deadly weapon, can you imagine the courtroom scene? The uh, the cross-examination is taking place, and the judge says, "Uh, you say he cut off your right ear? Yes, Your Honor. Uh, You cut off, uh, which one? Uh, My right one. And the judge looks and says, "Uh, doesn't look like it to me. And the case gets thrown out Mm -hmm. for lack of evidence. Mark Batterson writes, Jesus miraculously reversed the irreversible by reattaching the man's amputated ear. But he did more than heal someone who had come to crucify him. He also destroyed the evidence against Peter. Through his crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus destroyed the evidence against us. But he did more than that. Not only does our sin get paid for out of his account, but all of his righteousness gets credited to our account. God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. It's like Jesus said, you give me all your sin and I'll give you all my righteousness and we'll call it even. (laughs) Wow. Nothing is more amazing to me, Batterson says, than the spiritual transaction that takes place when we put our faith in Christ. Somehow my spiritual debits are transferred to Christ's account, and His credits are transferred to mine. What a deal. There's no greater moment and no greater feeling than all of our guilt meeting all of God's grace. So it's like this. Every time you walk into church, you might walk past a cross like this. And you can walk past that cross and remember the cross of Calvary and say, you know what? Every time I yelled at my kids... Every time I got angry with my husband this week, and every time that I got frustrated in traffic, I just give all of that brokenness and all of that sin to you. Every time I, I don't know what your sin is, whatever it is, I give that to you, Jesus. Jesus says, I give you my wholeness and my holiness. Mm-hmm. Now listen to this. You don't have to wait till you're walking next to a cross. And you don't have to wait until you're at family camp. And you don't even have to wait until you're at church. You can do this at your bedside. You can do this at your desk. You can do this sitting in your car. Anytime you want to, you can make the trade. Jesus, you came and you did that for me. I'll trade you. That's why he came, y'all so we don't have to carry around the guilt and the shame anymore not even for a second so when Satan comes and lies to you and says you are sorry good for nothing rotten lousy no good whatever he adds on to the end of that he's lying because you are the righteousness of God in Christ because that's what the Bible says that's the truth Jesus paid the price And He will make the exchange any time you are willing to say, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Now I've been a Christian a long time and I know the way things work. We hear a sermon or we go to family camp, we make a decision to get more committed to Christ and we decide, I'm going to do this thing. Just like the people in the Old Testament said, all that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. But Moses sprinkled them with the blood anyway. I am going to do this thing. I'm going to be faithful to my commitment to the Lord. And we make promises. We say, I'm going to be better at this. And then the next day comes and the next week comes. And although we really do want to do this with our whole hearts, we want to do right. We want to be strong. We want to make good choices. We want to follow after God with all our heart. We're human and we make mistakes and we mess up. We think, oh, no, I can't do it. I'm not good enough. And because we have an enemy, a very real enemy, He wants us to feel like failures. He wants us to think we can never make it. He wants us to feel like losers. We find ourselves beating ourselves up and believing his lies instead of believing the truth of God's word. And we think we have to wait until the next time we hear a good sermon or the next time we go to family camp to start over and be a good Christian. And just like those people in the Old Testament, we find ourselves leading this up and down roller coaster life. But here's the deal. It's not about being a good Christian. It's not about jumping through the hoops because we can't keep the rules. We can't be strong enough. We can't be spiritual enough. We cannot be consistent enough or good enough ever. And that's why Jesus came. That's why today about that precious person matters so much. We can't, so he did. He's the one who came and lived the sinless life. He was the spotless lamb. We would just be going around and around and around and around in circles. But because of Jesus, that precious person, because of the resurrection morning, we can recognize and receive the amazing love of our Father and our Rescuer. We can respond to him when we repent and return to that relationship with him as we are reconciled. Reconciliation means to reestablish the fellowship between. That's what he gave us. The Bible says God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So we don't have to live that repetitive lifestyle. It's because of Jesus and His finished work on the cross. The Old Testament way of life was based on rules that the Jewish people had to follow and sacrifices they needed to make when they didn't follow the rules. Jesus didn't come bringing a bunch of rules. He came to be the ruler. And so we bow our knee to this ruler and we submit our lives to his lordship and we say yes Lord and that fulfills the prophecy that says the government shall be upon his shoulders we say yes Lord yes King Jesus I submit I surrender all we don't need rules we already know we can't keep them it's exhausting and we fail every time so we bow our knee to a ruler we can surely surrender our hearts to King Jesus a ruler who loves us so much that he came to give up his life. He came to earth as a common man. He stepped toward us and he still is stepping toward us. I surrender all. I surrender all. Amen? I don't even know what time it is. Let me look. Oh, look. Okay. We are ten minutes from our our ending time. Let me pray and then if y'all have anything you want to say, you can say it, okay? King Jesus, we declare that you are a good, good ruler, and we choose to be submitted to you. We thank you for your gift. We thank you for the trade, the great exchange. We thank you for your life. We bow our knee to you, King Jesus, and say we surrender and we submit gladly and thankfully. In your most precious name, Amen.